And this would really be a huge putt for Victor Hovland. Can someone finally take the lid off here at 17? Yes, they can. Hovland makes birdie at 17 and goes to seven under par. From Oslo to Ohio, Victor Hovland is the champion. And just like that, FHP cashes two weeks in a row. Don't let this man get hot. Ian, we have cashed two in a row, and this one feels really sweet uh, because Victor Hovland has been one we've been chasing for a while. Um, so, yeah, give me your thoughts as, as I didn't have much time to, to catch much of the Sunday uh, the tournament on Sunday, so I want to kind of hear your whole breakdown of the day because I know there was a few guys that came into contention for us. Yeah, I mean, yeah, well said. First off, with with you know different wins meaning uh, different amounts to all of us, but yeah, considering I mean Victor Hovland got his big boy win on the PJ Tour, I expected a bit more hype in the group chat from Calicio, but uh, I I understand that he was going through some some stuff back home and uh, you know some more maybe. Uh, yeah, some definitely some more exciting developments in his own personal life. So uh, we forgive you for being a bit AWOL there, but Tim Cash is nonetheless. Hovland, again, he gets his big boy win. We've we've talked about him on the come up for some time now as one of the premier up-and-coming talents on the tour. Uh, it was only really a matter of time. He, he kind of went through his progression of winning these smaller events in Mayakoba, one of the DP World Tour, won some invitationals and down the Bahamas back-to-back -back years in that kind of small 20-man field at, at Tigers events. Um, but this one officially catapults him into, you know, into the upper echelon of world golf, really. I mean, if you can win at Mirafield Village in those conditions, uh, you can win anywhere on the planet, as far as I'm concerned. And the fact that he was able to, I mean, I, I don't want to say chase down Rory McIlroy, but, you know, I mean, overcome uh, one-shot deficit from Rory. I mean, you had guys like Scotty Scheffler um, surging down the stretch. It was just a crazy Sunday all around and um, Hovland made his fair share of mistakes, but when it came down to crunch time, birdies 15 makes a great par on 16 birdies 17 and makes a great up and down on 18 to get in the playoff. I mean, he played the three most difficult holes in the golf course and one under par. I can't really think of anyone in the field, anyone meaningful, at least in the field uh, down the stretch that was able to play those holes under par and Hovland does, does just enough there. I mean, he just, if he doesn't make the birdie on 17 and hold that putt, Danny goes down 18, knowing that he, can win with a bogey and that changes obviously a lot of the the decisions he he's able to make um regarding that hole so just incredible from from Vic and and he said it actually after the round with Balionis about something that really impressed me which was you know he he said that he you know he didn't win or it's it's nice to have won without his best ball striking stuff which I absolutely agree with like the numbers concur like very similar to Greer last week like when you bet Hovland you kind of expect when the wind comes, he's going to gain five shots off a tee, seven shots on approach, and then just keep it together on and around the greens, and he's going to be there. But he had a pretty middling driving slash iron week by his standards and was able to um, yeah, to, able to push through on the back of seven or eight shots gained around and on the greens. Um, hold the crucial putts, hold the sliding four-footers for par. Obviously, the 25, 30-footer across the green on 17 was huge. Um and was just nails. He was, I mean, on a leaderboard that that had again a lot of the top names in world golf with with Rom and Sheff, um, I'm sorry, with Rory and Scheffler. You know, as as they kind of melted on the greens, Hovland was the guy that you kind of wanted over that putt, which is something that we've we've said for a long time. When I I always felt like when he's faced with a must make five six footer, like he's proven enough over the course of the last twelve months that he's prepared to um, to hold that putt, and sure enough, he did. Um, I mean, I, I condolences to Denny McCarthy. I mean, he it was as tilting as it was to watch him like just gut 15 and like 10, 12, 15 footers for par every hole down the stretch. It felt like, I mean, it, it after he made par on 16, um, getting up and down from that bunker long or the green on, on the par three, it felt like it was kind of just destiny. I mean, he <laughs> he holds a 10 footer for par, sliding left to right on 12, the par three, uh, plays the par five fifteenth, um, absolutely abysmally. I mean, the easiest hole in the golf course. He puts in the front bunker in three. Has to get up and down for par. Holes a fifteen footer, and then again the sixteen foot part or the 
10 foot par save on the, the par 316th. It just kind of felt like it was one of those days, right? He gains, I think, 11 shots on the week on the greens, and you're like, you know, I'm never going to bet Denny McCarthy, but um, it would have been cool to see him break through on a stage like that, um, irrespective of the bets that we had pending. But uh, yeah, once it got in the playoff, I was about as relaxed as I think I've ever been in a playoff, to be quite honest with you, just based on Hoblin's pedigree from T to green and just knowing that they've got to play 18 again. Uh, it really felt like Victor was going to be in the driver's seat unless he made just a monumental mistake, uh, which he, which to his credit made four, made Denny make four to match him and uh, Denny couldn't quite do it. So yeah, just, just a crazy day for the second straight week. Um, I mean, colonial two weeks ago and then uh, Memorial this week felt like there was so much variance on the leaderboard felt like there was, you know, legit half a dozen guys that could win over the call over the course of that Sunday. Um, so definitely got a bit fortunate. I wish I would have been a bit more bullish on Vic in the, in the pre-tournament show last week. Um, but at 16 to one, I was never making that move. We were, you know, obviously lucky enough to get on at 45 mid tournament. And, um, yeah, produced maybe one of the, one of the coolest sound bites of, of <laughs> in FHB's history with me talking, um, over Chris as he's trying to give his analysis about gateway to let him know that we're in on Hollywood <laughs> at 45. Um, so yeah, awesome week all around happy for Vic. And now, you look forward to the U.S. Open, and look, man, the, the dude in the last three majors has been in the first or second to last group um, on Sunday in each of the last three majors at St. Andrews at Augusta, and then obviously at Oak Hill coming runner, coming, run, coming, coming runner up to Brooks Kepka. So uh, don't count them out for just stacking these like one on top of the other. I'm not sure what kind of number we're going to get at, at LACC, um, but – yeah, I mean, the sky is truly the limit. I mean, this is a big, big deal for his uh, trajectory going forward. Yeah, and it's it's funny that I can't remember if it was Friday night going to Saturday or Saturday night going to Sunday, but I remember you making that comment of like, if if I don't know if it was Scotty or somebody, you're you like, if somebody birdies this hole, we've got legitimately got like 32 players within like three holes yeah. of the lead or something like mm-hmm. that. So it just seemed, yeah, just, just that wide open going into Sunday. Um, obviously, we had Rory on top going into Sunday and then – um, yeah, he's kind of kind of imploded, and we had other guys kind of step up to the plate, uh, and luckily Vic was that guy. So, yeah, funny that if I was a little more editing adept, I probably would have had that clip ready uh, from last week where we added him live uh, to add to the beginning of this podcast. But um, for those that don't listen to the NASCAR show, yeah, that's uh, worth a listen to go back and, and hear how Ian interrupts me during, mid-show to add Hoffman, and here we are. So yeah, About the 30 seconds of quiet time while I'm waiting on the event to process. Um, doesn't sound so bad anymore. <laughs> no one would it would it end up netting us, but uh, yeah, I mean, Rory, Jesus Christ, <laughs> I, I, I honestly don't even know. Like, I mean, I'm a I'm a Rory fan. I I felt like sixteen to one was a very fair number heading into last week, and I think I even made a comment on it saying that um, I thought maybe the pendulum had had swung too far regarding like. Rory's lack of mental fortitude in those moments like I I thought 16 was a very compelling price I didn't blame anybody for jumping in at that number and if you would have told me that Rory Macker was tied for the lead heading into Sunday would have gained 2.2 shots off the tee um given how he'd been striking his irons as of recently I would have been like yeah this thing is over with I remember actually sending the group chat a message on I think it was like hole three hole two or three um and I, I mentioned last week that a lot of these longer drivers, like I felt like with how firm this golf course was going to play, if they club down and just really emphasized, like just made sure they hit the fairway and um, kept out of this penal rough that Mirfield Village is kind of known for, I felt like if they were smart enough off the tee, they could really maneuver, the, maneuver their way around uh, Mirfield Village and, and kind of use, utilize their power um, to – gain an advantage in a different way than just kind of bombing and gouging like a like at the PJ Championship, right? And Rory came out, and to his credit, like he played very smart off the tee all day long. Like he was in solid positions off the tee, um, gave himself a lot of scoring clubs in hand, and it just seemed like every time he had a wedge in his hand, he made bogey. I mean, it was unbelievable, like 90 yards in the fairway, missing greens, chipping at the 12 feet, missing the par putt. I mean, it was like I think all four bogeys he made on – actually, he made more than four bogeys, but he, on four occasions he made bogey with a wedge in his hand um on Sunday, which is just unfathomable for for a PJ Tour pro. So um yeah, crazy collapse for for Rory. I thought oh, Jesus Christ if again if you would have told me that he drove the ball as well he, as he did on Sunday, because that was my main concern 
regarding his profile was more so the fact that he didn't really have a ton of control over the long game uh, at the PGA. And I felt like Mirafield Village was even more penal off the tee uh, if you were to, you know, to start spraying it. Um, to his credit, he fixed that problem, but now another one clearly um, has emerged. So it'll be interesting to track kind of how that goes because it does feel like Rory's close. Like it feels like his floor, I mean, he's finished ninth at the PGA and now like sixth or seventh at Mirafield Village, not really having his best stuff. So it feels like Rory's kind of due for that performance that, you know, he just goes out and plays his A game and wins by four. Um, but man, it's, it, it is a tough name to click. I think at this point, just given what we've seen on um, down the stretch on some of these tournaments. I actually have a, hold on, what's what I'm looking for here. I have a thought. Do you think, yeah. and I kind of put this in the chat today, earlier today, and I don't know that we want to go dive deep into this topic, but <laughs> If there's any player that knew about this potential live merger, I feel right. like I feel like Rory might have been one of the only guys that might have been clued in on this. Yeah, him or Tiger. Yeah, which I actually saw just a little bit ago that Tiger said he he didn't know. Yeah, I, um, I think I saw. Yeah, I, I don't think Rory would have known either. I think there was like two guys on the on the board that knew about it. Okay, well, that dispels but, my theory then. I was going to say, if I just felt like if there was one player who would have known, it probably would have been Rory. I just wonder if, if that would have has played into his play for the last few weeks. We haven't really seen the typical Rory. Um, yeah. So, but I would again, say that's just, that's, just a, that's just a conspiracy theory in my own head. Yeah, it's armchair psychology, I think. I mean, and honestly, like sourcing any kind of quote-unquote news uh, from the happenings of today is, is a bit of a fool's errand, to be quite honest with you. Um, but yeah, I think of anything, like, just the maybe lack of uncertainty around live would maybe free him up a bit more now that he's not like being used as the poster boy, uh, whipping boy, maybe um, for the PGA tour. I don't know. Right. I, but I don't know. It's all conjecture. When I feel like when, <laughs> when you get between the ropes, like you can't have anything of that, like any of that on your mind anyway. Yeah. Um, but yeah, who who the fuck knows? I, I I would I would more so lean towards the fact that he just he's he's shown these vulnerabilities with the wedge play in the past, and um, you know, coincidentally, the last time he won, which was this tournament last year, um, it was on the back of the wedge game. So maybe this is maybe, maybe friendlier confines will um, will spur him on in that sense, but. Yeah, it's it's pretty ugly considering how good the rest of his game looks. Like the short game looks phenomenal. Uh, like I said, he drove the ball really well at Mirfield. The long iron game, the long game looks looks great. Um, and like I said, it feels like something big is coming for Rory McIlroy. But um, it's <laughs> is it worth the headache of dealing with bogeys from ninety five yards in the fairway um, at, at sixteen to one? I don't know. Well, this is a good segue into uh, this week as. Uh, I'm sure Ian will touch on it in a minute, but Rory is trying to go three time, three time, three time at the Canadian RBC Canadian Open. Obviously, at three different courses, as I just learned about 30 minutes ago. Uh, but uh, yeah, we are heading to oh crap, Oakdale. Is that what it was? I lost the name of the course Oakdale, now. Yeah. Um, Oakdale Country Club for the RBC Canadian Open. Um, and yeah, we've got a field that's. Not an elevated field, so what you can expect, right? A lot of a lot of guys that we got a big drop off from the top, and a lot of guys kind of. I know Ian's going to have interest in basically in that like sixteen to twenty five range, and then very much deeper, obviously. So yeah, um, yeah, I think I will throw it over to you for to kind of hear your breakdown, your course course architecture for the week, and and let's get to the odds board. Yeah, it, it kind of reminds me a bit of last year's field, actually. Uh, the Canadian Open. Canadian Open, the second oldest um, national open in the world. Um, and if you kind of look back at last year's field, it was very much the same thing. It was a lot of top heavy guys. Like it was Rory, it was JT, it was Finau, it was Cam Smith, <clears throat> Sam Burns, um, you know, Matt Fitzpatrick, who's playing really well, um, Tyrrell Hatton, et cetera. And then it was a lot of scrubs. Like I, I looked back at my notes last year and it was kind of very much the same thing. And we employed a pretty similar strategy on the betting board. We bet two guys at the top and um, just because I didn't really have a lot of faith kind of further down the board uh, and we'll get into kind of my, my theories on uh, on betting strategy later on, but yeah, well, let's get into the golf course first. It is Oakdale golf and country club just outside Toronto, Canada, actually about 15 minutes up the road from last year's venue at St. George's. 
Um, it is a 7,264-yard par 72, uh, but only three par fives in this golf course. It, um, it goes under a 3-3-12 uh, pattern as opposed to a 4-4-10 uh, that we saw last week at Mirfield. But three par threes, three par fives, four par, or 12 par fours uh, at Oakdale this week. The seventh, It would be the seventh shortest par 72 on tour um, if we played here every single year. The par threes range from 172 to 208, so pretty kind of middling in that regard. Uh, the par fives range from 496 to 590, um, so all pretty reachable, nothing uh, crazy in that regard. The the par fours, I think, are where kind of the, the dichotomy, um, a dichotomy really emerges as holes three through six, uh, so four hole a four-hole stretch. On the front side, all play as daunting par fours over 460 yards, but the other eight par fours on property measure from 352 to 432. Uh, so again, you have that stretch of like really daunting, like U S open E like big boy ballpark type of par fours. Uh, but you look everywhere else and that's a lot of driver wedge, three wood wedge, uh, and should be some pretty easy or pretty gettable scoring opportunities for, for guys on these par fours. Um, aesthetically, it's about as textbook of a Northeastern parking course as you're ever, as you'll ever see, uh, to the eye. It reminds me a lot of last year's Canadian, Canadian open venue at St. George's. Uh, you could also draw comparisons to like TBC River Highlands, TBC Deer Run, Detroit Golf Club, um, a lot of these kind of wall-to-wall bent grass courses in kind of the Northeast Midwest. Um, like I said, bent grass on the fairways and the greens here, although there is a slight poana overseed uh, similar to what we see at River Highlands every year on the greens. Um, I couldn't find any information on its fairway width this week at Oakdale, uh, but the primary defense of this course looks to be its uh, four to five inch Kentucky bluegrass rough. Uh, which for reference is even half an inch to an inch longer in some spots than we saw last week at Mayfield Village. Um, now, notably, it has been quite dry in Toronto the last few weeks, so I wouldn't expect it to play as lush as the rough we saw at like Oak Hill last month. But clearly this club has made it a pretty clear emphasis on penalizing wayward misses. And um, on a golf course that measures 7,200 yards as a par 72, you're going to need some kind of defense. Um, only four water, water hazards on tour or only four water hazards on the entire course. So it feels like the rough is kind of the main, again, main defense here. Um, but given the lack of length on most of these par fours, I expect a ton of players will be looking to club down off the tee, uh, setting up their second shot for the fairway. Even if you had a three wood on a 420 yard par four with how far these guys hit it, they're still going to have gap wedge or pitching wedge in. Um, so as a result, I'll be looking for players that ha- have excelled on positional driving tests in the past talking about places like Harbor Town, Innisbrook, Sedgefield, TB's River Highlands, uh, places where you're going to be able to club down and still have um, an attainable shot into the green. Uh, in terms of proximity ranges, again, I count at least eight holes where players will be expected to have an approach inside of 150 yards. Uh, that's not even counting the potential layups on par fives or um, pitch outs from the thick rough on the longer par fours. Uh, but if you're looking for specific proximity ranges, I think inside 150 is about as good as you'll find. Um Maybe a little bit of long iron play if you just want to focus on some par fives and some of the longer par threes. But I expect, again, on almost half the holes for guys to have wedges or short irons in their hands. Uh, so that's basically the formula for from a ball striking angle. Uh, I'm looking for reliable drivers of the golf ball off the tee um, that can routinely create chances with a wedge game. And I think make enough putts to reach a winning score of at least 20 under par. Um, we saw last year at St. George's, St. George's did play quite tough for the first two days, but once it softened up, I think they got a bit of rain on Friday afternoon, Friday evening, uh, that softened the golf course up. And then all of a sudden you saw JT go out there and shoot 62 Fina went there out there and went low on Saturday, Rory. Um, and so you saw a lot of the prolific birdie makers on tour climb the leaderboard. And then some of the, uh, quote unquote plotters like Matt Fitzpatrick, um, kind of found himself getting lapped a little bit uh, on the weekend when scores got really, really low. Um, and although Toronto has been quite dry, uh, I don't expect this course to play anywhere near as like from or fast as like a Maryford village or colonial. Um, by all accounts, it, it looks like it's going to be pretty much target golf out there for these guys. So I think you're going to have to get to 18, 20 under uh, to have a chance this week. So whenever the winning score is, is that low, you're going to need uh, some kind of putting acumen because you, know, you can't really get to 20 under um, without or, with, with just pure ball striking unless you just hit everything to three feet. So uh, admittedly, I would say, I mean, if you're talking about driving accuracy and wedge play, um, this is not a skill set that's exclusive enough to separate the very best players. You know, we talk about places like Bay Hill and Mirfield Village and Quail Hollow doing a very good job of separating the upper echelon ball strikers. Um, I think there's a 
lot of guys that can make you can make the case for uh, this week. Um, and I and as such, I think there's a multitude of different angles you can take when constructing your betting card. Um, as we kind of alluded to in the in the open, strategy one would be to just acknowledge the fact that there's a very clear tier break after the top ten or twelve players. Uh, we'll kind of get to it on the betting board, but after about forty to one, it drops off pretty damn hard here. Um, so, I mean, for reference, I mean, love it. Uh, We'll talk about it later, but Ludwig Alberg, uh, the number one amateur, number one uh, ranked player on the PJ Tour U, was making his first professional start. Uh, he's listed fifty to one. So when you're when you have a guy that's uh, making his first career professional start at fifty to one, you can probably gather that the rec- that the uh, lack the depth in this field is is pretty severely lacking. For reference, I remember when Col- this is actually the first time we were introduced to Colin Morikawa, at least in the professional level. I think he played the U.S. Open at Pebble Beach. So, um, a little bit earlier that year. Uh, actually, I'm not sure. I, I, I'm actually not sure where the Canadian fell on the calendar, but I know Morikawa made his uh, his pro debut at the Canadian Open in 2019. <clears throat> and he, he came with, honestly, I think even more hype than Auberg. I mean, he was kind of known as one of the better ball strikers in the world even before he got on the PGA Tour. And he was 500 to one that week. I remember because I bet five dollars on him. Yeah, you're um, right. It looks like yeah, made his debut at 2019 RBC Canadian Open where he tied for 14th place. Yeah, yeah, I remember that week. That would, that would, that was the, that was the genesis of my Colin Morikawa obsession. Um, so he was 500 to one that week, and Auberg is 50 to one this week. I don't think Auberg is a, is a significantly better uh, or more enticing talent than Colin was. If anything, I would put Colin ahead of him at this point in their careers. Um, but yeah, just a greater point to emphasize, like. There's just not a lot after the top 10 or 12 names. So, um, yeah, you could. You, this is definitely a week where you can acknowledge that and hit the top of the board pretty heavily. But I could also see an angle where you just start your card at 60, 70 to 1 and rely on the fact that you don't really need an overly remarkable profile to find success around Oakdale. Uh, and in my eyes, there isn't a ton of difference between guys less than 50 to 1 and those in the 100, 150 range. So um, taking advantage of that, that kind of flattened skill gap um, – makes a lot of sense to me and i think you can make a compelling card with seven eight names above 80 to one to be going on soon and we'll kind of run through my favorites uh guys down the board there so again both those schools of thought have um i think have merit this week and i'm we'll get to my card in a little bit but i'm kind of planning on taking a bit of a higher approach myself um as of now i bet two guys under 25 to one i do have a guy at 50 that i'm particularly high on uh but we've left a couple chips kind of behind to fire away at some of the deep cuts um some of my favorite deep cuts as we get deeper into the tournament so um yeah that's that's my general betting strategy for the week at least um kind of how i saw the betting board what decisions i was key decisions what i was going through as i was building my card um but let's just get into the key stat roundup the model and then we'll get into the betting board so my key stat roundup just a bit of a recap here uh first off is strokes get off the tee with a special emphasis on fair percentage and good drive percentage on positional golf courses all the positional driving, total driving accounts for 20% of my model weight this week. Uh, strokes get approach, uh, birdie chances created, and wedge proximity from inside 150 uh, carries a bulk of my weight this week, as you could probably expect. 45% of my weight uh, goes into the th- those three categories. Uh, 25% of my weight is scoring stats. So strokes gain putting, birdie or better percentage. Um, I'm placing a special emphasis on scoring ranges inside 15 feet when it comes to putting, because I think a lot of guys – are going to have are going to be able to generate birdie chances inside 15 feet, just given the parameters of the golf course. So I do want guys that are capable um, of consistently holding putts from that kind of key scoring range. Um, that, excuse me, all accounts for 25%. And then it, finally, we have a little bit of comp course history. I mentioned earlier St. George's from last year's Canadian Open, Detroit Golf Club, <clears throat> excuse me, TBC Deer Run. TBC River Highlands, and then strokes gain in like easy scoring conditions um, accounts for 10% of my model weight. So uh, my ranking, my top 15 here, uh, number one is Tyrrell Hatton. Number two is Corey Connors. Number three is Roy McIlroy. Four is Justin Rose. Five is Shane Lowry. Six, Cameron Young. Uh, so not a ton of surprises in the top six, but we move on to seven, and all of a sudden it drops down to Ben Martin at seven. He's been a bit of a model darling for me, although he can't really – Net a top finish to save his life, but the stats seem to like him. Eric Cole comes in at eight. Akshay Batia comes in at nine. Mark Hubbard at 10. Uh, Nikolai Hoygaard comes in at 11. We'll talk about him in a little bit, but that's a bit of a small sample. Only made three starts on the PGA Tour this calendar year. 12 is Brendan Todd. 13, Sam Burns. 14, Michael Kim. 15, Tommy Fleetwood. And then 
maybe just a couple more notables. Uh, Sahiti Gala comes in at 41, and Matt Fitzpatrick comes in at 44. So kind of middling, middling results in my stat model for those two guys. But, um, but yeah, that's all I got to say about Oakdale and the Canadian Open. Again, not a ton of information, um, but I also don't think it's a particularly difficult course to assess. I think the major thing I'll be on the lookout for like Thursday, Friday is going to be how penal is this rough? Like, is it possible to bomb and gouge your way around Oakdale? Um, or do you really have to play, play for position off the tee? And then number two, I guess would just be um, just general course conditions and how firm has this dry spell in Toronto really made the greens again, from what I've seen, just videos of the course, it seems like the greens are still pretty lush. I mean, this is a membership. This is a members only course. So it's, it's, not exactly made for championship level golf. So you would anticipate, you know, they're not really going to bait the greens out to 13, 14 on the stem for their 15 handicap members. So um, yeah, that would be my initial lean. But again, I'm always open to change my mind as new information comes in, but that's my general um, overview of the course. All right. So with that being said, let's go ahead and kick our way over to the odds board. Um, I know we've already touched on them, but, Roy McIlroy, six to one at the top of the board. Um, obviously, like we mentioned earlier, he's going for the three peat here um, at the third different course, coming in out of form. Um, but from a talent level standpoint, obviously, is you know the far and better player um, than the guys listed below him. So we're right at six to one. Yeah, I'm just gonna keep him in his own tier just because. Yeah. Let's just talk about him by himself. But yeah, um, I think you said was he fourth or fifth in your model? I think. Yeah, he was third actually. A third, okay. Yeah, he's behind Hatton and Connors. Um, but again, not not a ton of separation. Like, I, there's not really a clear tier break after after like there's a small one after four, and then there's another small one after six. So, but it's pretty condensed at the top. Like, there's not a not really a runaway like top two or three like we're used to at some of these elevated events. Um, but yeah, Rory, I mean, he rates out fine for this golf course. I mean, he, it's not like he's coming in a bad form. Like I said, he's got back-to-back seventh-place finishes at the Memorial in the PGA Championship. He obviously loves it here in Canada. Um, won at Hamilton by a million, then outdueled JT and Finau on Sunday. Uh, last year, St. George's to cash his ticket there. So Rory, always dangerous. But again, I, I feel like a 7,200-yard 70, uh, wedge-intensive birdie fest isn't exactly – um, what Rory's current game is suited for right now. And so, I don't know, six to one's always going to be a tough ask for me. I've got to be really, really high on a guy, uh, just his overall fit and his overall ability for me to make that move. So I really have about as little interest as I've ever had in a six to one outright um, on the golf betting board. So, yeah, look, if Rory figures the wedge game out and makes a few putts, like it's not like he obviously can't win this golf tournament, but, um, Judging by what we've seen the last couple weeks, especially last Sunday, um, yeah, he's got a lot of work to do inside about 100 yards for me to really trust him on a golf course like this with so many wedge opportunities in hand. All right, so that moves us down to let's group the next two together. So we got Terrell Hatton and Sam Burns. Um, yeah, Terrell, I think, is a guy we haven't had on the card in a while, but since probably Oak or uh, Bay Hill, right? Well, if you don't count last week. Oh. That's a good point. Yeah. <laughs> well, you're right. Before that, we, we, sorry, a little, I was still a little checked out last week. Um, yeah. So Terrell Hatton, Sam Burns. Um, yeah. What do you got on these two guys? I know ranked pretty well in your model. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, Burns, I think is a bit of, um, maybe underwhelming, at least in my stat model, just based on where he's on the betting board. But I, I do good see finishes this last two weeks. No, for sure. And Burns absolutely exceeded my expectations. Um, at uh, at Miracle Village, he was one of my key fades last week. I had him in a matchup against Hideki Matsuyama, and Matsuyama kind of came back to him. But Burns played well over the weekend, ended up netting a t sixteen, uh, which is much better than I kind of expected for him. I think he, I thought he played well above his baseline, gained two point nine in approach, um, gained across the board with around the greens on t- off the tee and with a putter. Um, so coming into solid form, like like Chris says, I, I think this is a golf course that actually suits Sam Burns really well. Um, I've seen him on a couple guys that I respect, or I've seen a couple guys I respect betting him already at 15, 16 to one. Um, I think it makes a lot of sense when you talk about his history at Innisbrook, when you talk about um, his history at RBC Heritage, club down golf courses, he's going to have that driving iron, that fairy wood, where he can kind of mitigate a lot of the wide misses he has off the tee. Um, 
and still put himself in position to uh, with a wedge in his hand. And it feels like he really plays above his baseline at these easier wedge intensive kind of golf courses. I, I remember really, really, really liked him at a Kapalua earlier this year. And I think you can make the case that this course requires a very similar profile um, as Kapalua, at least kind of from fairway to green. Um, so strangely burns rated out pretty low in my wedge proximity model. So it, it, it feels like that's a lot of recent data. Cause I remember long-term heading into the year, he was one of the sneakily, one of the better wedge players in, in the field. And so now he rates out outside the top 50 and inside 150 um, in my proximity model. So that's a bit of a struck against, but look, I, I Burns is a guy that he won Austin CC, another kind of short positional golf course, ton of wedges in hand. Um, so at his best, I, I think he's certainly capable of winning this week, but um, I don't think he's playing nearly as well as the guy on our actual card, which is, which is Tyrrell Hatton. For the second straight week, um, we're going to him this time at 12-1, to 1, and frankly, I didn't really expect to come into this week's show holding a 12-1 to 1 ticket, but um, you know when it comes down to the process of constructing a betting card, you you know, it, there's a lot of different factors. You can't really just take a number at face value and you have to kind of weigh all of your, like it comes down to weighing not just, you know, what the player is priced at, but what your alternatives are on the betting board. And I felt like Hatton at 12 to one compared to uh, the options around him was just a tier above compared to, you know, the potential to, to stack three, four, five guys in the mid tier. I just really couldn't find a, a better alternative than the betting Terrell Hatton. He's number one in my model. I obviously, uh, I don't think you can find anybody um, that's looking at stats or assessing this golf course that wouldn't like Terrell Hatton this week. So um, I thought he just, I thought he deserved to come in as the clear number two behind Rory. I expected him to be at 10 or 11 to one, uh, maybe even single digits. If, um, if there was some, some buyback on Rory, but um, yeah, I mean, <laughs> statistically, like I said, I mean, with a lack of viable options down the board, um, the opportunity cost I typically associate with spending half my outright budget on a 12 to one outright is kind of largely mitigated. There just isn't a ton of good options. So I'm just going to pay up and trust the best player um, by my numbers. Um, statistically, like I said, there's really no holes to poke in Tyrrell's game. Last 36 rounds, he rates out number four in strokes off the tee, second good drive percentage, second stroke can approach, sixth in wedge proximity inside 150. Second birdie, second and birdie better percentage, second, or I'm sorry, seventh in strokes gained putting. Um, and he's finished inside the top 15, 12 of his last 19 starts. So he's been, he's been primed for a win for some time. And this week he doesn't have to contend with the likes of Scotty Scheffler, John Rahm, Brooks Kepka, Victor Hovland. Um, this field and venue kind of reminds me a lot of like European tour. Um, his days on the European tour when he used to be priced at 12, 14 to one is one of the, one of the top guys over there in Europe. Um, and he's, you know, he's, beaten almost all these top Europeans head to head before. I mean, he chased down Roy McIlroy and Abu Dhabi a couple of years back. Um, you know, had a lot of story battles with, with guys like Fleetwood and Lowry too um, at Wentworth and, and whatnot. So I guarantee you there's, there's not a golf in this field that an informed Hatton um, is afraid of, and he's just playing way too well. I think he's, he's just kind of in a tier of his own um, based on his current form and, and his, his setup for this golf course. So um, yep. That's um yeah so Hatton Hatton's my favorite bet on the board he's my pick to win um it's not often that I kind of get to have the flexibility um after picking the number one guy in my model so excited to have Hatton on the card and um even though I do I do see the case I see the upside for guys like Burns and uh, Cam Young and even a Shane Lowry or Corey Connors like Hatton, I think it's just a, kind of a level above everyone else right there outside of Rory. So 12 to one was a fair enough price for me. Yeah, absolutely. And, and to have that big of a tear break from Rory to him uh, to be that uh, keyed in on him on your model. Like I think 12 to one is a, is a great place to start, especially, you know, at this point in the week where, you know, we have plenty of guys in the same range who you're able to kind of yeah. eat off, you know, it, so it, it, it does seem like the the odds have kind of corrected, right? Because at the very start of the week, Hatton was priced right there with Burns and Cam Young mm -hmm. and even Fitzpatrick, and it does feel like now it's getting harder to find your twelve to ones on Hatton. You're starting to see that drift to ten to eleven, and then Burns and his compatriots are kind of floating to the 15, 16, 18 to one range. So um, mm -hmm. I think we got out ahead of that pretty well. Uh, I think you can still find twelve to ones, but I think the market is is clearly correcting. I think from early in the week. All right, so let's move on to the next. Um, I guess we'll do the next 
three. Um, these so to finish out the guys under twenty. Um, so we've got Cam Young, Maddie Fitz, and Justin Rose. Um, I can tell you that when the first week did begin, like you mentioned, how the odds were first posted, things were a little bit differently. Yep. I thought Matty Fitz was going to be on the card just because he feels like a Northeast golf club kind of guy. Yep. Um, obviously, the big win last year at – oh, God, help me. What's the name of the – Yep, Brookline, yep. Yeah. Um, so, Alan, that was my initial thought, but then hearing you say that he was 44th in your model, like, dear God, I don't know <laughs> what has happened to Matty Fitz. But, um, yeah. yeah, obviously, we have another click in this range, and I don't think it's Cam Young either because this does not feel like a Cam Young uh, – a fit. So yeah, that only holds yeah. up one guy. <laughs> it's it's getting harder to find like the Cam Young fit. He's just not really playing up to standards. I mean, we had the really exciting two week stretch where he came runner up in Austin and then seventh at the Masters. I think he shared the first round lead or, or at least got off to a super hot start at Augusta. And then since then, um three starts for Cameron Young on the PJ Tour. He's come actually four starts on the PJ Tour. Fifty first, fifty ninth, miscut, miscut. Uh, since Augusta, last two starts in four rounds, he's gained, he's lost uh, nearly ten shots on the greens. Uh, so, for a place that I think will require you to be locked in with the putter um, in order to get to the lofty scores, I anticipate. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm not I'm not I, I'd rather bet Burns uh, for what it's worth than, than Cam Young. Just kind of based on what we've seen, I, I I just trust what Burns has going for him right now. Um, Although I, th- I think it Cam-, Cam Young at his best, I think does fit this course decently well, just because he's played quite well on shorter golf courses in the past. Uh, he's actually inside the top 10 in wedge proximity, which that's over maybe a bit more of a long-term sample. Um, so you do feel like, you do feel like this is the kind of course where he would get his first win just because I think Cam, like I liked him a lot last year at, at the, the uh, Rocket Mortgage at Detroit Golf Club, a place where he can, you know, just kind of fire away at pins, make a ton of birdies. He's still inside the top 10 of birdies, a better game, still inside the top 10 and birdie chances created. Um, but yeah, just, just not coming in with a ton of recent form, a lot of, um, yeah, not giving me a ton of confidence in betting him at 16 to one, especially. And the Fitzpatrick is, is you can kind of make the same argument against Fitzpatrick, but for different reasons. Um, I just don't really love the prospect of betting him when the winning score is going to be 18, 20 under. Um, I thought the reason I liked him a lot last year at St. George's was because it profiled to be um, a lot more difficult, at least early on in the week. Uh, I remember he was he was the 36 hole leader at the end of last uh, last year's or going into the weekend last year's Canadian Open. And I think that his score was like six or seven under. And then, like I said, once things started to soften up and guys like JT and Finau and um, Rory, even Sam Burns, who finished inside the top five last year at the Canadian Open. Uh, once those guys were able to kind of fire flag sticks, that's when Fitzpatrick started to again get lapped a little bit. So, um, yeah, if this if this course profiled into playing maybe a bit firmer, a bit faster, uh, a little bit more difficult, I would maybe like Fitzpatrick a bit more. Um, but yeah, you're not going to see you're not gonna really going to catch me betting him at sixteen to one when, like I said, I anticipate you're going to make a ton of birdies this week. So that does bring us to my second bet, uh, my. Only other bet under twenty five to one or under under fifty to one for that matter, um, which is Justin Rose. Couldn't resist going back to Rosie, just like Hatton. The last time he started, he was on our card, and the last time we saw him, he was leading the field at Colonial on approach, gained seven point eight shots um, at the Charles Schwab. Better than Scotty Scheffler, better than Milena Grio, better than Victor Hovland. Uh, Rose led the field on approach, um, and he just so happened last time he was in Canada, his last competitive round in Canada, shot a ten under sixty at Royal St. George's to catapult himself inside the top five uh, last year. Over the last 36 rounds, he, lead this, he leads this field in strokes can approach. He's top 10 in good driver percentage, top 10 in birdie or better percentage, top 10 in birdie chances created. He's already won a short, wedge-intensive golf course at Pebble Beach earlier this year. Um, and so the slipper just fits for, for Rose. And I was able to catch a 22-1. to 1. I know that's a bit of a tougher price to come by these days or at this point in the week, but I still endorse the 18. He's my second favorite play under 20-1. to 1. Um so, and, and just as a note, also, since the start of 2023, um, just shorten this field by strokes gain total. Number one, Terrell Hatton at 1.8 strokes gain total per round. Number two, Justin Rose at 1.7 strokes gain per round. Number three is Tommy Fleetwood at 1.3. So there's a pretty sizable gap uh, between Hatton and Rose when it comes to just pure strokes gained. Um, and yeah, at, at 12 and 22 to one, I'm going to place my faith in, in Mark Brody and, and kind of just 
go by the numbers here. I, I don't really see any reason why Rose can't contend. So, um, yeah, that's it. Uh, that's it for Rose. So, yeah, like I said, Fitzpatrick, Cam Young, not really optimal uh, conditions for either of them. I don't feel like this week. But, um, yeah, I think that's all the names that you listed, right? It is. And it's not often that we find ourselves on a elite putter. So this should be at least fun for, well, for yeah. Right. For Hatton's even better than the Rose when it comes to putting. So is it really? Okay. We're not, we're not on team. Yeah, this is not a week I'm riding team no putt very often. So, <laughs> um, well, maybe when we get further down the board, we're looking for ball striking profiles. But, um, but yeah, up the board, like I said, uh, if you if I don't rely if I can't trust you inside ten feet consistently, <clears throat> Cam Young, <clears throat> Shane Lowry, uh, then uh, yeah, I just think you're going to get lapped around the field like this at a course like this. All right. So speaking of guys who can't putt, uh, in the 20 to range here, we've got Corey Connors at 20 to one, Shane Lowry at 20 to one, yep. Seth Gala at 25 and Tommy Fleetwood at Tommy at 25. Um, so, um, yeah, I know that there are at least one guy that rated out pretty well in your model, uh, maybe yep. two, uh, but then two that maybe not so much. So, um, yeah, what do you have for this range and was there any interest at all? Uh, sure. I mean, Look, Connors and Lowry are kind of the same player, to be quite honest with you. I mean, they both are super reliable off the tee. They can both get super hot with their irons. It wouldn't surprise me at in the least to see them lead the field and approach this week. But they have the same kind of glaring flaw, which is like the putter, when it gets bad, it gets real bad. Um, and again, you're not really getting the discount. Um, I see guys like Rose having very similar ball striking upside while not having that, having that just really, really – um pronounced weakness in this game whereas i do feel like connors and lowry have a ha, uh, connors and lowry have a real real chance to just put themselves out of this golf tournament so um again i don't really have a lot to lot bad to say from t to green for these guys i mean connor's out second in my model lowry's fifth so um i do understand that you know like they could lead this field from t to green and maybe pull a scotty scheffler and just be average and then you know they can right be right there in the mix but um, when compare their profiles next to again guys like Rose, even guys like Burns, I would I would lean more towards the the, the latter too. Um, we'll go with Tommy next. Yeah, I mean, I don't know, man. Fleetwood again in a kind of a similar vein. Fitzpatrick, I kind of like Fleetwood a bit more whenever things are going to get tough and you kind of have to focus more on bogey avoidance and um, just keeping yourself out of trouble more so than going out there and firing a pins and having to shoot 66 every single day. Um, so I don't know, like I, I've seen some hype on Tommy. I, I kind of get it, but again, I just don't think this is the optimal setup. I thought places like Valspar and quail, um, even a place like the heritage might've been uh, kind of better spots for, for Fleetwood. Um, so I'm kind of le- I'm just lukewarm on him. I don't really have a strong take either way. And then Tigala, Tagala, I think, is super interesting. Now, he's 25 to 1. That's not a number I'm particularly interested in. But if you can get, like, 33, 35 that I've seen floating around on other sites, I think this is a solid spot for Tagala's breakout win. Um, this is a place where I think he can club down and really, again, mitigate his biggest weakness, which historically has been driving accuracy. And, you know, when it comes down to birdies, birdies are better percentage. When it comes down to strokes game putting, opportunities created. Um, he rates out quite well in all three of those categories. So some of the most important categories that – um, then I'm waiting. He's he rates out quite well, and it's just I don't see him having the same kind of balance skill set as, as guys kind of around him in this range. I think he's maybe a little bit overpriced at, at 25 to one, obviously, but um, but I, I see the upside at, at 35. I just again, I'm not a huge Tigala guy, I, I've already kind of conceded I might just miss the first one uh, until he shows that he can be more consistent on a week in, week out basis, and particularly when you're asking me to pay 25 to one when I can get Rose at 22. I just trust the floor ceiling combination of Rose a lot more. So, um, yeah, again, like Burns, I've seen a lot of people are expect on Tigala. I can, I can see their line of thinking. Um, but once again, my decisions were kind of made once um, I, I caught a 22 on Rose. So, Absolutely. All right, so I'm going to read the last names here from 35 to 50 to 1. Uh, we do have one bet in this range, and then we'll kind of jump around because I know Ian's got some guys deeper down the board and – there's some guy that's guys that caught my eye as well. So from 35 to 50, Adrian Moronk, Keith Mitchell, Matt Kuchar, Adam Hadwin, and Eric Cole. Um, so if there is a guy in the range that we're betting, yeah. I, what, oh, you're laughing at me. Are you, I, I was, you, 
No, I'm just saying it, it, I told you it got ugly quick. <laughs> oh yeah, it did. It did. Yeah. Although, I, although I know fifty to one seems crazy, but like I keep staring this Eric Cole kid. Like he keeps like he's had my eye for the last few weeks. I don't know why. Yeah. I haven't played him in one and done or fantasy, so it's not even like correlated to that at all. I don't know why, but he seems like he just keeps popping up um, everywhere we go. Yeah, I, I will say I think he picked the right horse. I mean, obviously we have a, a bet in this range that's not Eric Cole, but I think yeah, yeah. Eric Cole is quite compelling. Uh, you talk about the guy that obviously finished runner-up to Chris Kirk at the Honda Classic. That was his best off the team performance um, of the year at a place where, again, you kind of have to club down and avoid trouble a lot. So I like the fact that one of his bigger weaknesses, which historically has been off the tee, um, I think could potentially be mitigated here with just hitting three woods, hitting driving irons off the tee. And when you kind of filter down for just approach playing putting, Eric Cole, top five in this field in terms of birdie or better percentage, opportunity uh, opportunities gained, um, and strokes game putting on bent grass. He's, if you just combine those three stats, he's right there alongside guys like Rose, um, little Bob Hatton, uh, right there alongside Rory and, and guys like that. So, yeah, I think, again, I think you picked the right horse, the right profile. I think 50 to one's a, a really tough one to swallow. Um, just considering the, the caliber of player he is. And I just feel like the floor is about as low as maybe it gets, um, in this range, at least traditionally at like 50 to one. Um, but I, I do see the upside there. He'll be a, he'll be a guy that I'm, um, I'm certainly keeping my eye on, certainly starring on the app, seeing what, what he's kind of up to, uh, full disclosure. We have like around two units to play with two, maybe two and a quarter. So that fits 50 to one quite, quite snugly. Um, so if I were to make a move, maybe closer to the middle of the board, um, I, I do see the, the appeal of Eric Cole. Um, but my bet at 50 to one is Adrian Moronk. Now he's 35 to one on, on our site, Bovada right now, but I am searching around. He is currently 45 to one on Caesars, 45 to one on FanDuel, bet three, six, five. So, um, 35 is kind of the, the high watermark. So I obviously would not be taking that number. I would be chopping, trying to get that number elsewhere, but anything over 40 to one, I think is a really compelling price for Moronk. Uh, for those that don't know, I would say with, with Minwoo Lee and Ryan Fox, excuse me, Minwoo Lee and Ryan Fox's recent admission into full-time PJ Tour membership. Moronk is now, I think, the undisputed number one across the pond these days. Uh, 29 years old from Poland. He's won three times worldwide over the last 12 months uh, in Italy, in Australia for the ISPS Handa Australian Open, notably uh, beating Adam Scott um, in his home country that week. And then he beats uh, Ryan Fox in the Irish Open, um, I think about around about a year ago now, right in the lead up to the Open Championship. Um, so again, three World Cup wins in the last twelve months, and pretty strong fields considering you know the average DP World Tour field. Um, and if, we, if we're just talking twenty twenty three, he is currently lapping the DP World uh, Tour from T to Green. He's nearly half a shot better uh, than second place. He's gained over two point three shots T to Green per round uh, compared to Jaden Shaper in second, who's gaining one point eight one. Uh, he's the best total driver of the golf ball on the DP World Tour, number one in strokes gain off the tee. He's number four in birdies or better percentage, number three in greens and regulation, fifth in scoring average. And he's actually already shown some positive form in the States uh, this year as well. He's he posted a 14th place finish at the Honda Classic in February and at the PGA Championship just a month ago, or just less than a month ago. Um, he gained over seven strokes ball striking in a T40 finish. So he was a guy that was already on my radar uh, for LACC as a bit of a sleeper next week, but I think at 50 to one in a field that's really devoid of top options, uh, extremely compelling profile and a guy that I would expect to, again, follow that Ryan Fox, Minwoo Lee trajectory. Um, and in enough, and enough solid starts here in the States, he could definitely make his way into full-time membership on the PGA tour. So um, yeah, really high in Adrian Morong, 50 to one, I think is a pretty popular price this week. Um, but yeah, of all the mid range guys, I think he could, he presents the most upside, especially when you talk about a price next to guys like Eric Cole and, um, let me look at the, the rest of the board here. Yeah, Eric Cole and Spence and Mackenzie Hughes and Adam Hadwin, et cetera. Um, even a guy like Kucher, who, who feels like his form has really fallen off in the last couple of months. Um, but, yeah, we're on 50-1. to 1. That's the last guy on my pre-tournament card. So with uh, a 12-1, to 1, a 22-1, to 1, and a 50-1, to 1, again, it leaves me space for one more add in, like, the 50-60 to 60 range or maybe a couple more deep down the board um, that we can get to in a second. Yeah, absolutely. And this – this actually feels like a little bit of a not a popular pick, but I've seen I've seen a few people like this price has changed dramatically, I guess, from yeah. from Monday morning, I guess, to now. Um, but it's good to see that there's still value out there uh, among other books. So, um, all right. So deeper than fifty, 
Um, lots of names out there. I know you wanted to mention Nicola Hoygaard. You kind of brought him up. Yeah. Um, I heard Michael Kim ranks pretty well in your in your model. I kind of was curious about that. Mm-hmm. Um, Carson Young, we were on him like what two or three weeks ago. He's at eighty yeah. to one. Um, feels like maybe a potentially good spot for him. Akshay Badi, Batia, but I always fuck that up every time. Yeah. It's all good. Badia, uh, ninety to one. Um, also very high in your model. I believe ninth. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, I guess start with those names, and then I think I have one deeper than that. that was okay, that bring up. Uh, let me hear. Let me see here. Uh, we'll start with we'll start with Michael Kim, uh, sixty to one, which is really really strong from his pre his like Monday open. I think he was pretty deep in the triple digits, so he must be get, be taking at least a bit of action. Uh, two of his last three starts, he's come sixth to the Charles Schwab, seventh to the Wells Fargo. Uh, in my model. He rates out sixth in good driver percentage. He rates out top 20 in, in uh, birdie chances to create a top 25 in both birdie are better uh, gain. Birdies are better gained and strokes gained putting. Actually fourth in strokes gained total over the last 36 rounds as well. So he's right there alongside Fleetwood and McElroy. Now that's obviously not um, field adjusted. So oftentimes guys like McElroy and general strokes gained total, unweighted strokes gained total will fall a little bit farther behind just because they're playing much better competition like Michael Kim's not playing the Memorial, not playing the PJ Champs, et cetera. Uh, but it is worth noting that he's he's playing about as well as we've seen Michael Kim play in, in quite some time. Um, he is a he, he has one win on the PJ Tour, which happens to come in the comp course of the John Deere Classic. Uh, fin- won that tournament in 2018 by eight shots. Uh, that was, in my memory, one of the more dominant performances I've seen in, on the PJ Tour in recent memory. He gained over 13 shots putting that week. I, I remember he'd be dealing for Kelly on that Sunday. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's 60 to one for Michael Kim. That kind of turns me off a little bit, but if you can get a bit of drift, maybe as the week goes on, um, I don't mind taking the shot on a bit of a hot hand at, you know, hundred to one, 125. Um, 60 does feel like a, maybe a bridge too far. Hoygaard on the other hand does feel like maybe a bit of blind value just based on talent, based on the pedigree, based on, um, the, the future. I think this is in store for this kid. Uh, we were really excited to, to bet him at 40 to one in Mexico. Uh, I think you can find him as deep as 75, 80 to one across some books. So I, I, I understand the upside. I just don't really feel like this is the perfect toy guard course. Um, given that his main weapon is distance off the tee. The main reason I liked him at Mexico was the fact that it was a golf course that was really wide open. There wasn't really a lot of penalty for missing waywardly. Um, and here I feel like if there was, if there was one thing that you really can't do is miss, Waverly off the tee. Um, a lot of these holes are, are kind of tree-lined, traditional Parkland style. Obviously, the thick rough I mentioned earlier. So, I don't think this is a is a like a perfect course fit for for Nikolai. Um, but he's shown. I mean, he's he's already finished uh, runner up here or runner up on the PJ Tour at Corrales uh, this year, getting five shots on approach to the Valero. So he's shown flashes of the ball striking. Um, but I like Morong's overall course fits. Um, I think he's a better player at this moment. So I think you might be, I understand buying the macro profile on um, Hoygar, but I think there might be better spots uh, going forward for him in general. Uh, let's see here. Who else did you mention? Carson Young. Carson Young. Yeah. Carson Young, 80 to one. I do think, I, I do think Carson Young actually is, I don't know. Winning isn't maybe a bridge too far, but I do think this is a golf course he can play well at. He's now gained strokes and approach in his last, uh, five starts on tour, gained on gained putting in his last five starts as well. Four top twenty-five finishes in his last five starts. So, you know, we made the proclamation at three fifty to one. We made the pick on him at uh, at Colonial just two weeks ago. Uh, and this is a golf course that I think suits a very similar style. He's top twenty in driving accuracy on tour. He's clearly hot with the irons. He clearly is hot with the putter. So, again, I, I think he can keep up this kind of string of top twenty-fives. But um, we're starting to have to pay a premium for Carson Young. And I don't think 80 to one is in line with what I believe his overall uh, skill set to be. So I think, yeah, we're, we're kind of having to pay the piper a little bit after a, a bit of a hot run. Um, so play him top 20, play him a DraftKings top 40. Uh, but the outright 80 to one feels a, a bit of a bridge too far. Um, and I think, oh yeah, Akshay Bhatia, which was, so, so Bhatia was the, I've got about, seven or eight names that um, that I listed as kind of my deep cut shortlist. And Batia was one of the guys on there. Um, when it comes down to easy score conditions, he's been, he's shown to be very capable in his young career of taking it super deep uh, when, when things, when it's required. 
Uh, we talked about his corn fairy tour win. Um, the Bahamas, he, he shot 63, uh, I think, on his debut at Pebble Beach just a couple years back when he was still like 18 or 19 years old. Uh, came fourth in Mexico in easy scoring conditions just a few weeks back. Uh, the problem with Batia, because obviously a lot of the, the good of Batia is the fact that he's, at least in this field, an elite approach player. He's an elite iron player, um, particularly with his long irons. He's um, He rates out a lot better than with his wedges, so maybe that's a bit of a strike against him on this particular course. Um, but inside the top five in strokes and approach, inside the top 15 and birdie or better, um, birdie or better gained, inside the top 15 and opportunities gained. Um, my main concern with Batia is we haven't seen him putt well on any service except for past Palom. Uh, when you talk about his success at Mexico, uh, his success early this year in the uh, the Caribbean on the Corn Ferry Tour, he's it's been a pretty steep, sharp dichotomy. We haven't really seen him perform well on the mainland U.S., particularly not on the bent grass. Uh, so that would be my only real qualm against Batia, but I've seen him as deep as 125 to 1, 130 to 1 at some sites. And again, the ball striking is a lot better than that place in the odds board. So I, I do believe in the upside. Um, and if he can putt, like there's no reason why he can't contend. So um, I do like Akshay um, if you do want to take a stab deep, but I'm more prone to maybe wait um, for, for, for live. I, I don't see enough in the profile to, to really want to jump in uh, pre-tournament and take up um, kind of the last few units on my card. So let's get, I'll kind of get into some of the names that I, um, I circled or am I keep that I'm keeping a particularly close eye on when Thursday, Friday morning comes around. Number one is Aaron Rye. Uh, I think he's 70, 80 to one most spots, uh, but he's one of the most accurate drivers of the golf ball on tour. Um, he was second in this field behind Justin Rose in stroke and approach here last year. Uh, and actually second uh, at, in the colonial field on approach. He's actually uh, now in the last 12 months has five individual starts, getting at least five shots on approach um, since the Canadian open last year. So he's, He's got a built-in skill. Like, he's elite in something. He's elite in driving accuracy. He's not really going to give him someone a ton of trouble off the tee. He's shown the ability to spike with the approaches. And, you know, the main concern is obviously the putter. He's lost strokes, in, he's lost strokes on the greens in five of his last six starts. Um, but at 80-1, to 70-1, to 1, it's tough to find a more enticing ball striking profile. I think um, Aaron Rye's a pretty safe bet, I think, this week in, like, a DraftKings or um, in matchups and stuff. Um, and I think again, at 80 to one, he's got the, he's got the capability of being one of the top ball strikers in this field. So that's always going to be compelling to me. Uh, secondly, I have Brendan Todd, who I think is a hundred to one right now. Um, but he's been, he's made it a bit of a habit contending at these shorter wedge intensive tracks. Um, in the past, he finished second at Pebble beach earlier this year to Justin Rose, uh, came ninth at the Fortinet to start the year or the season third at last year's Charles Schwab. He's had repeated success at places like Mayakoba, Bermuda. Harbortown RSM. Um, now, unlike Rye, Todd doesn't really have like the ball striking ceiling, um, but he makes up for it in spades with his, with his ability to roll in putts. Uh, he's a top twenty. He's a top twenty wedge player in this field, but he's uh, a top ten putter uh, from all my key ranges inside fifteen feet, inside ten feet, and then overall putting. Um, and he actually came thirteenth at St. George's last year, getting three point eight on approach and five point seven putting. So, I think a formula like that, very similar to Aaron Rye as well, very very accurate off the tee. Uh, is Brendan Todd. So I think at a golf course that emphasizes accuracy in the way I think this golf course will, um, doesn't have a lot of long par fours that are going to require him to, you know, hit five, hit a ton of five irons. And uh, yeah, if it's, if, if it is just truly a wedge and putting contest, I think Brendan Todd is, is super, super live uh, at, a, at a course like that, at, a, at an event like that. Uh, Alex Smalley, I uh, have a 75 to one go figure. Uh, but he came to last year's final round uh, at, at uh, St. George's, just two shots off the lead. Uh, now fired a 73 on Sunday that pushed him all the way back into the tie for 21st. Uh, but Small is a guy that, again, very much like Rye, very much like Todd, has continually shown uh, his prowess at these shorter positional uh, shorter positional tracks, particularly off the tee. Uh, you're talking about RSM, John Deere, Wyndham, Amex, Colonial. Um, he's now gained on approach uh, after the Memorial and eight consecutive starts, and he had the best tee to green week of his career. Uh, just a few miles down the road at St. George's last year. So I believe, obviously, if you listen to this podcast enough, I believe in Smalley's talents. Um, it does feel like the shine's kind of worn off of him um, at this point in his career, even though he's kind of surging a bit with the ball striking. Uh, so it's 75, 80 to 1 in a field like this. Um, I think he's, again, super live to, to give it another go here in Canada um, and make a run at this course for his first career win. Um, I'll keep going. I got two more. Yeah, I got I got one that's pretty deep, but you haven't said it yet. So okay, 
cool. We'll, we'll see if I can find the battleship here. Um, I don't think it's this one, though. <laughs> I have CT Pan uh, that I think is uh, like 100, 125 to 1. Uh, not a ton to say about CT, but he did have a really nice start. Uh, that Byron Nelson came fourth, I believe, um, off an extended absence due to a wrist injury. Uh, he's only made three starts in the county of 2023, but he gained uh, over 2.5 shots on a pro or 2.5 shots in each of the four strokes game categories um, at the Byron Nelson in the top five finish. And again, he's, he's another guy that's popped up a lot at these positional wedge fests. He's one of the Heritage. He's come second at Wyndham, third at Colonial, sixth at Silverado. Uh, Pan is a guy that I think profiles quite well for, for a golf course like this. And we saw some life in his last start um, a month ago at the Byron. And then finally, my last one is the deepest of the lot, 175 to one in Bavada. You can find him as deep as 300 to one. Aaron Cockerell, uh, he is sneakily – I haven't mentioned any Canadians this week in their National Open. He is sneakily my favorite Canadian. Um, he does, he's not going to come in with the pressure of a guy like a Connors or a Hadwin or a Hughes or even a Spenson who have all kind of won before on the PGA Tour, have that kind of expectation. Um, so Cockerell is probably a new name to many American viewers, but you know he is a 31-year-old Canadian. Um, he's put together quite a run on the DP World Tour uh, to start his 2023 campaign. Last five results, he's finished no worse than T21, uh, highlighted by a runner-up in uh, the ISPS Handa Championship in Omitama, Japan. By the numbers on the DP World Tour, he rates out fourth in scoring average, 10th in birdie or better percentage, 20th in driving accuracy, and fourth in strokes gained putting. Now, admittedly, it's a big ask for him to actually win this golf tournament, but I do like the profile enough to keep tabs at a number as deep as 300 to 1, and I do really like a top 40 play on, on Cockerell. I think he's in for, uh, for, for a solid start. I think he's super underrated just based on uh, the recent results he's had in Europe. So, yeah, that's just a quick overview of the guys that I'm looking at. Like I said, I've got enough room in the budget to maybe fit two of these guys, um, assuming they don't drift too far off the odds board. But guys like Rye, Todd, Smalley, Pan, Batia, Cockerell, that's probably the sweet spot that I'm looking at. Unless Chris can maybe convince me on a guy deep down the board here. I mean, I I had him, I like saw his name stuck out to me. But then as I've kind of been looking at the profiles for the guys you do like, I don't think you're actually going to like this guy this week. But I'm still bringing him up anyways. 250 to 1. We played him at Wells Fargo, Augusto Nunez. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So, so Nunez is a guy that I think excels on longer golf courses. Really, really good long iron player. Really good long iron player. Um, He's almost got a very identical uh, like data golf chart to um, – Oh my God! Who are you just talking about? Long distance. Uh, Hoygaard. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that makes some sense. He's not as long off the tee as, as Nikolai is, but I could see where they they have that um, the correlation with their long iron play. Um, and Augusto is a, I mean, he's a. I think he was inside the top five in total driving on the uh, on the Corn Ferry Tour last year. So he's a he's a very prolific driver of the golf ball. Uh, just not doesn't have the big weapon like like Hoygaard does. But I, I do get that comp. Um, I would say actually he compares a lot to like a guy like Victor Norman that I think, um, him and Victor Norman had, I think Norman's like 75 to one on this, uh, on this golf course or 80 to one. Yeah. 80 to one on this golf course, but he's another guy that is Vincent Norman. Is that who it is? Oh, what did I say? Victor. Oh, sorry. No, Vincent, uh, Vincent Norman out of Sweden. Um, but yeah, Norman, Norman and, and Nunez, I think are guys that, that possess very similar skill sets and that should play well at very similar tracks. Um, all both being very, very good long iron players, both being, I mean, Norman's a like legitimately one of the more elite drivers of the golf ball, especially in this kind of lower tier. Uh, so whenever you're looking for guys that hit it long and straight off the tee, um, like maybe at a place like a U.S. open or like he, like Norman almost falls into like a Hayden Buckley category where I, where I almost like him better when things get a lot more difficult and, you know, like 315 on the middle really, really gets you um, gains you ground on the field, whereas here I feel like maybe these guys are a bit more handcuffed um, and you're kind of looking for more plotters and, uh, like I said, wedge players, guys that kind of keep it out of trouble and are content just taking their 120-yard approach and, and sticking that. So, um, But, yeah, I, I like where your head's at. Nunez is a guy that I've definitely uh, touted on this show before. So I, I understand why you why you went there. I, I, I'd be remiss to, to not bring up Wesley Bryan as well. I bring him up in every one of these shows. But 500 to 1 for a guy that, I mean, in his prime was legitimately one of the best wedge players on tour. 
won the RBC Heritage, repeatedly played well at the John Deere Classic, played well at the Valspar, played well at uh, like places like the Honda as well like that. So, again, I'm probably living in 2018, but <laughs> I always I always drawn if you want like a super deep uh, guy. Like I think I think Wes Bryan uh, has shown. A bit of a, a bit of a recent upturn in his form. Finished sixth at Puerto Rico. Uh, almost got in the U.S. Open last uh, yesterday. I was following his um, his brother's tweet or Twitter updates, but he lost in the playoff to Carlos Ortiz to get out to miss out on the U.S. Open. But um, but yeah, I'm seeing a little bit from Wesley Bryan. But that that would pretty much be it. I think once we once we hit 500 to one, we should probably shut the uh, shut the microphones off because we're just going to be uh, <laughs> we're just going to be costing our our followers money at this point. No worries. That's what some listeners listeners want to hear. Plus, especially the guys for you know DFS one and dones stuff like that. They want to hear other names other than the guys at the top. But um, for those that are following the betting card, we are on Terrell Hatton at twelve to one at nine and a quarter unit. Justin Rhodes at twenty two to one for five units, and Adrian Moronk at fifty to one at two and a quarter units. So sixty and a half units invested to win one hundred and twelve. Um, and as Ian mentioned, room for. One more ad, um, at least 50 or deeper. Um, listed up plenty of names, you know, guys like C.T. Pan and Aaron Rye and um, Aaron Cockrell and guys like that. So, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, obviously still a little room in the budget if we need it, but we feel really good about the card we've got. I feel really good about the card we've got. I think this is a – I mean, obviously we're going to be riding high when we're two in a row, but, hey, I don't think we've ever gone three in a row. So – Def- this could be historic. Not. Yeah, I definitely have not. So I think we have as a podcast, but not one Correct. of us. Not like an in, in individual sport. Yeah. Um, but yeah, man. See if we can keep running hot. Um, yeah, and hopefully, uh, hopefully, maybe a little bit less in the less uh, less stress in the blood pressure this time because uh, the last two weeks have been fucking brutal. So um, yeah, I mean, beggars can't be choosers, but a nice three shot win would would, would go around really, really nicely and. and either of our sports so yep all right so with that being said good luck for the rbc canadian open and we will talk to you guys next week peace